0: Please join me in welcoming our speaker today, Morgan Cole, Ingham County Clerk. Morgan Elizabeth Cole received her Juris Doctorate Cum Laude from Thomas M. Cooley Law School in May of 2011. After graduating, she practiced law in Washington, DC. Morgan has worked for Ingham County Court System since January of 2013, advancing from law clerk for the Honorable Rosemary E. Aquilina to Ingham County Friend of the Court Investigator then chief deputy, circuit court clerk of the thirtieth circuit court, and currently serves under chief probate judge Shauna Dunning's and probate judge Richard J Garcia. She is a member of the Ingham County Bor- Bar, excuse me, Women's Lawyers Association of Michigan. And in March twelfth of twenty twenty, Ingham County Bar Association presented Morgan with top five under thirty five award. Good morning, Morgan, and welcome. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Erin, for that introduction. Um, And Yes, I'm here at the Ingham County Probate Court. I don't know if we've had the pleasure to meet one another, but here we are. Um, So I live in Okemos with my husband and three um, children. Who here lives in Okemos? I'm just curious. Friends for life. Um, So at the probate court, I think that people don't understand a lot of what we do. So I'm curious to see if anyone knows what the probate court does. Yes. Estates, uh, divorces, all the fun stuff, right? Oh, well, you've got the estates right. Yeah, we do estates, not divorces, but we will talk about divorces. What else does the probate court handle? Guardianships. Very good. Guardianships, conservatorships both adult and children. Um, And then we have estates, wills, trusts, uh, and mental health. So really, it's probably the most impactful for the business that you all do. Um, You go to look at a property, and you walk in, and you see, oh my goodness, the owner is a hoarder. Has that happened to anyone? Yes. Okay. So, um, and then you're in your mind, does this person have capacity to enter to a contract, to sell this piece of property, um, because this is what I'm looking at? Or do they have a power of attorney and all those issues? So that's why I think probate court is vital to your industry. Um, We all know that property, especially lawyers, that property is the number one area for malpractice as well. Were you all aware of that? Malpractice on attorneys. I'm not saying you all. (laughs) Um, So I'm really honored to be here and let you all learn about probate court, which isn't always fun, but it's very important. So our two probate judges here in Ingham County are Chief Judge Shawna Dunnings and then um, Judge Richard Garcia. Has anyone met them? Wonderful. Who have you met? She's amazing, isn't she? She's amazing. Um, So uh, when you come to the probate court, who knows where Ingham County's probate court's located? Yes, downtown Lansing, 313, West Kalamazoo. It's the Veterans Memorial Courthouse, first floor. All right, so before I go to the next slide, what is your definition, if anyone can tell me, of probate? Just the word probate. Anyone have a definition for that? No. It's because it's in very old. Do you have one? I always think of it the holding time. OK, OK. All right. Can we go to the next slide, please? It's not probation. I want to be clear about that. We get at least three calls a day that says, Can I um, come in for a drug test? No, that's not us. Um, So it's important to know that we are not probation. Um, So probate, when we're talking about generally, are assets that are left in the decedent's name alone or incapacitated individual. um, But we use probate estate assets for dead people and estate assets for alive people. Next slide, please. All right, so we just went over this concept, but I'm gonna use incapacitated individual and that's guardianships, conservatorships, um, and other legal definitions of incapacitation. Um, it could be a developmental disability uh, or a minor. You might have minors that own property. And then a probate estate, again, dead, all property titled and the decedent's name alone. The decedent's name alone, the decedent's name alone. Why am I repeating that? Um, For the purposes of your job, it's so vital to know exactly how the property that you are selling or that your buyer is buying, how it's titled, and who has authority to do so. Has anyone had issues with that? Yes? Yes. and it can come become really, really sticky when we get into property ownership. So based on the definition of these estate assets and probate estate assets, I'm just gonna ask a little trivia here. I'm gonna get my list. Next slide, please. Again, the two questions that we're asking are, how's the property titled? and who has authority to dispose? I'm going to use dispose, because that's all encompassing. All right, next slide, please. All right, so property ownership. Get excited. Has anyone heard of Tenants in Common? Yes. Ma'am, could you tell us what
2: Tenants in Common mean? Tenants in Common would be a party like a husband and a wife. There'd be tenants in common that kind of they own them together.
1: Yeah. That's a tendency by the entirety if they purchase the property as married. But you're on, yes, you're on the right right page. Tenants in common. Anyone? Not married. They have one or more people
3: having equal rights to the property.
1: Before. Yes, correct. So if we have um, four of us own a piece of property, Okay? And I have a quarter, you have a quarter, you have a quarter, and you have a quarter. And we're tenants in common. I die. My piece, my quarter does not go to you all. It stays there as an undivided whole, meaning that my estate would have the right to litigate and collect on my portion. You all, does that make sense to you all? So there's no right of survivorship with the tenants in common. We don't see these a lot unless um, they're business related, you'll see that often. Or you have family where there's loved ones that that have um, conflict oftentimes. So, tenancy by the entirety. Anyone? Married couple. Married couple. So, you have to be married and purchase the property, married, and it's a tenancy by the entirety. Does anyone know why the legislature did that? Those don't exist, but good concept. They used to. Um, so there, the reason is, is that you try to stay out of probate as much as you can. And so a tendency by the entirety is if one of the spouses dies, the the property automatically vests with the surviving spouse and you don't have to come see me to change the title. Does that make sense? Okay. So um, joint ownership. We have joint tenants or joint tenancy. Again, it's like a tenants in common. Oh, is that working? It's like a tenants in common, except it's just two owners. That's it. I don't know why they, they say joint tenancy. Not joint tenancy with rights of survivorship, just a joint tenancy. And then we have joint tenancy rights and survivorship. It's just like a tenancy, um, a tenancy in common, um, but whoever dies first, then the property automatically goes to the survivor, and you don't have to come see me. A probate court. So what about the in
2: cases <coughs> where there's several people that own? Um, property together is more than two it could be like 10 people and it keeps passing down to the next person in line
1: so if a piece of property is titled in multiple individuals names it most likely is a attendance in common but you could have a joint tenancy where everybody there's four people us four um, owning a piece of property and then i say with rights or survivorship Or not, actually, because if I die, then it would go, it would be my little parcel. You know, it's they say joint tenancy. It's really either a joint tenancy with rights of survivorship or tenants in common. I know they say four forms, but really it's three. It's duplicative. Um, But yeah. Have you seen them any other way?
2: Well, I just know the situation with myself and my family. We have like timber land. And they also, uh, the company also draws a oil off of it. And when my mother passed, then then that that uh, portion of that lease that was on that property went to her children. And then, so if I pass away, then it would go to my my survivor. So what do you call that? It's several people all in the family that's in line for the money from that property. So it's a
1: contractual obligation, is that what you're saying? Yeah. It's really a lease. So that would be a contract separate from just property division. It would be the assignment of rights. So you're entitled to the royalties, um, et cetera, from that contractor lease. And so if a provision says that that assigns to my heirs, et cetera, et cetera, then that continues in perpetuity. Something
2: like that would never go into probate.
1: Generally, not if you're enforcing because non payment, um, that would be a contractual obligation in civil court. Good question. Um, Okay, so who do you guys have a favorite uh, property ownership? What? Yes, okay, that's a good one. Who's heard of a life estate? All right. What, what do you say a life estate is? When you own it during your lifetime and then it's designated. Yep, correct. Best example of a uh, life estate would be a ladybird meet. Can you just be sure to repeat what the name is? Oh, yes, thank you. I will do that. Thank you. Um, so a ladybird deed is, is the best example of a life estate. What he mentioned or said was uh, a conveyance where it's for the duration of someone's life. And when they die, it goes. OK. All right. Ne- Next slide, please. Can I ask a question on ladybird deed? Yes. He me about that. that not reported? So a lady. The question was whether a Lady Bird deed gets recorded. I will always say it is in your best interest to cover the chain of title, period. So yes. What a Lady Bird deed is, you'll see it often with aging parents. So let's say there's only one parent alive, mom, and she has kids. She deeds the property in fee simple to her children while she's alive, but holds a interest, a few, uh, a life estate interest for the duration of her life. So when she dies, the property automatically is already with her children. So you don't probate that. So yes, I would record that.
4: So the question I got was for someone who is single and only has a brother in their family. So she owns a property, and he asked me. Um, should
1: we just do a ladybird deed, or do we need to do a trust? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, in those situations, it- yeah. <laughs> so the question was: a client um, said they have only one heir, the heir being the father or the brother. Um, should they do a trust or a ladybird deed? First, just contact a lawyer yes. um, to decide which way you want to go. There's different, you know. Tools to assist with that and advance planning is huge, um, and is a huge help to you all as well. It really depends on what the settlor, um, or the seller, or decedent wants. I mean, that's who you speak to about what they want to do with their property and and why. So, I'm a big fan of ladybird deeds. I can just tell you that I'm a huge fan of those. It's an easy, fast conveyance, and there's no issues. Um, with the property being deeded. Okay, so probate court involvement, when you come to see me, every day, right? Um, Okay, so again, we said determine how the, the property was titled, and then we need to know how, if this person has authority to sell. Okay, so here's a fun game. You see these on the screen, these are Estate assets, and I'm curious where you would have each one fall under. And by fall under, I mean probate or non probate asset. Remember, decedent's name alone. Okay, I gotta get my pen so I can check. All right, who wants to be number one? Ma'am in the yellow jacket? Oh, sure. All right, so property conveyed by a power of attorney Acting on behalf of an incapacitated owner. Is it a probate or non probate asset? Probate. Okay. Property, okay. Number two. Here we go. Lady in the pink shirt. Property conveyed to a decedent and spouse prior to the death of decedent as tenancy. by the entirety yes so property that is conveyed to a husband and I guess it could be the de- I'm gonna say the decedent and spouse who were married prior to being conveyed but they were conveyed as a tenancy in in the entirety. okay number three yeah I'll take this one. Property conveyed to a decedent and spouse prior to death as joint tenancies with rights of, survivor, rights of survivorship. Anyone answer? OK. All right. Uh, property conveyed to a decedent and spouse prior to the, decedent, uh, the death of the decedent as tenants in common. What? OK, sir. Impressive. Property conveyed to a decedent prior to death as a ladybird. Jointly owned bank account. Jointly titled car. Life insurance. So the past three were no or non-probate. All right, retirement with pay-on-death beneficiary. You guys are savvy. Uh, Real property owned by a valid trust. Just by a valid trust. All right, stock stock owned by the decedent's name. Bank accounts in the decedent's name. Property conveyed prior to the death of the decedent, alone and fee simple, absolute. Is that it? Probate was the response. Property conveyed prior to death uh, to decedent alone as a life estate. That'd
2: be none. Any answers?
1: Okay, you go with non-probate. All right, can you go to the next slide? And here come the answers. All right. Well that one's not right. I'm taking this one out. Anything jointly is not is not appropriate. Is non-probate. Okay. That's a mess up. So anything conveyed. Um, the power of attorney. It's a valid power of attorney. They have the ability to act as non probate. The goal is to keep everything out of probate, any jointly owned property, so long as the other joint person. Some of those are incorrect, but I'll deal with that later. Um, <laughs> so anything owned jointly, bank account, titled car, mobile home. Mobile home is not real property, FYI. Um, anything with a ladybird, trust any retirement with a, a beneficiary, anything that has a beneficiary. Um, so I think we are, I think these are reversed. That's what happened with the secretary. Anyhow, you all did great. I think we only had one issue. Yes. That's why I'm saying I think there was an issue when my secretary copied my notes into this she copied both of them so disregard that slide and I'll get it updated but trick question land contracts what's a land contract it depends I think that's the best answer and to get an attorney right away um, now you're talking about Issues of who has an interest and in how the estate can go after it land contracts are a very very sticky subject very sticky All right All right, who has the power to sell a piece of property? Have you had issues where people couldn't sell property? Okay, could you share with us an example?
4: Sun thought that And because his mother, the way she wrote her trust was when he she died, uh, it would become. I can't even remember how it worked, but the the son thought he could sell the property, and he couldn't because she had actually left a part of it to another person, like a like a niece.
1: Gotcha. So the example she gave is that a son thought he could sell a piece of property that was in a trust for which he thought he was the sole you know, owner of that piece of property. However, the trust documents actually said that the piece of property was conveyed in half. To his cousin. So it was conveyed to his cousin and him. It's a great example um, of issues. Uh, that we've seen. I think mean, the first thing you need to ask yourself is: Is the person who owns the property dead or alive? Has anyone had issues with someone who is alive and selling property or buying property? Okay. I
4: had an interesting one. It was a big dollar property. The grandpa, right, and he owns the whole thing, and so. Out in California, who had a percentage of maybe five percent of the interest, and of course she thought it was worth three million and not one million. The property still has not sold to this day because of her not agreeing. So,
1: okay. Do you know how it's titled?
4: I don't remember. This, is, this was like maybe five years ago. Yeah. So,
1: so, that is a situation where. Three on- okay. okay. Is she not willing to take a buyout? I haven't seen it come out. Okay. Yes, so on, um, in the audience, they said, someone said, I had a buyer who was wanting to sell his large piece of property, but f- 5% of it was um, owned by his niece. And she thought the property was worth $3 million and not $1 million and wouldn't agree to any concessions. And so the property has just sat with no activity, I would say. I'm going to guess that's attendance in common. She has to agree. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, that's a big issue. And so when you have situations like that, I would always suggest getting an attorney. And before anything gets listed, see if you can work a deal behind the scenes to get the interest before you put it to market. I mean, that's a good tactic because then you, you take you know, difficult individuals out um, before you put on the market. So, okay, so uh, deceased, is there a trust or is there someone with a PR? If there are, check the letters of authority, which we'll go over later. Um, do they have authority to, to sell or buy?
2: Yes. What happens in a situation whereas you're trying to sell a piece of property, however, the title company is requiring that you get the death certificate of someone whose name is on it is on the deed. Oh, okay. Thank you. Okay, I have a question. I have a property right now on the market for sale, and when we did the preliminary title work, it is showing that money is still owed. To a woman who had loaned money to the husband, who is now deceased, that makes sense. And so, at any rate, the the surviving spouse is saying that the money has been was paid back in 1992, but there's really no record of it that the money was paid. And now the the lady, supposedly, whose name is on the deed as an owner, because she loaned them some money, is deceased. But they don't know where she passed at. So when we called Ingham County to see if we could get a death certificate, they wanna know when did she pass, no one knows. We called Eaton County to see if she passed in Eaton County. And they don't have any record, but you have to know about when they passed. But they don't even know if she even passed in Michigan. Yeah, that's that's a very- So what do you do?
1: Well, first I Google, I get the name out and I Google. John Smith, as much clarifying information I can, and say obituary. Obituaries are a great golden source um, to to look up and say, okay, where's this person? Um, Or not. Yes, you would have to otherwise go to the county clerk for the respective county. But if you don't know the death, I would start with Googling um, first. have, have other people had issues with that, not knowing? Okay. Okay.
4: Quiet title is a resolution
1: also. Absolutely, you could quiet title, but then again, you'll need an attorney to to go through that. And you're quieting title most likely not in probate court, but in circuit court, because you're asking for an equitable uh, remedy at that point. Okay. But again, I mean, you have a lot of cost benefits and, analysis to, to undertake as well to determine how much will that cost, et cetera. But I would Google. I would search for where you could find and then call that county. Obituaries. Love them. I know that sounds really dark, but <laughs> love them. They're very helpful. Um, okay. So, if there's nobody with authority to act, I'll come on down to prolate, come on down. So. You're, you're most likely going to need to come to probate and get letters of authority um, to to act and have that conveyance. All right. Is the person, al- if the person is alive, can the property owner act on their behalf? Do you have any questions about, you know, incapacitation or issues with them understanding what's going on? I'm sure you guys have had that. Um. So. If they can act on their behalf, they're good. But if you have questions, just to be safe. And remember, we want to protect um, those individuals who are what I call vulnerable, meaning incapacitated individuals who, it appears, don't have the ability to really know what they're entering with a contract. They don't have anyone to act on their authority. They have a power of attorney, great. But if not, I really would caution moving forward without having an order. Um, and remember, a guardianship is legal, and a conservatorship is financial. The business you do are both. I mean, you deal with money, and, and you deal with entering into legal contracts. So um, in my opinion, both would be needed. All right, so now that we've gone through that, next slide, please. Let's talk probate law and what we do next sorry all right so here's the basics of what we do wills estates uh, letters of authority you'll get with estates guardianship conservatorship mental health and then there's miscellaneous probate matters which is an extensive list but i think the most important will be uh, four letters of authority for you all unless anyone's interested in uh, donations of kidneys we handle that as well and and many other things. Next slide, please. Case types. So before you come to the court, unless you have a case type, I can't give you one. So you have to know what you're filing and know what case type you need to to have on any document. Um, You see them for estates. The most common for estates are DEs and PEs. Uh, DE is just a decedent's estate that's not supervised, and then a PE is a small estate. Very rarely do I think you're going to be doing a small estate assignment. Have you all? Anyone done a small estate assignment? Yeah. That's supposed to be fifteen thousand twenty-five. <laughs> so it's um, adjusted for inflation. Currently, it's at twenty-five. The original statute was at fifteen thousand every year. Um, scale issues. What the new adjusted amount will be. So this year it is twenty five thousand. I anticipate it'll be twenty six next year. Any questions about these? Okay. Next slide, please. Guardianships, conservatorships, et cetera. These are the different case types that you will need. Um, I'm curious if anyone knows what the difference between an adult guardianship and a developmentally disabled guardianship. No? Okay. We'll get to that. I was just curious if anyone knew. Do you have a question? No, you are gonna tell us that, right? Yes, I am. Make sure. I am. Next slide, please. These are mental illness proceedings. Again, you may come across this um, when dealing with clients or you know, family members, et cetera, you have a mechanism if you think that someone um, is a person requiring tr- mental health treatment or should get an exam for mental health treatment. Um, for example, maybe there's no guardianship in place, but you feel something's not right. They know what you know, we're talking about, but you see hoarding stuff everywhere or one of the worst examples I saw was um, he he would talk very normal and it appeared everything was fine until you realized he had bats stapled on the walls. So in those situations, stapled on the walls and then would try to have him bite him uh, for COVID superpowers. But he presented very well. So in that situation, I mean your red flag should be up and and. Addressing that or and if you think there's an urgent need right away call the police right away
4: you gotta tell us how that
1: <laughs> I've never seen anything in my life like it Bats Like he liked to catch them live and staple them to the wall and then he would go around and Ask that they bite him and shove his arms in their little face it was, it was unbelievable. Um, so, <laughs> yes. Did it with COVID? <laughs> we <tried it> <laughs> I, I don't think so. Unfortunately, yes. Can you
4: tell us uh, ordinarily what the legal requirements would be to have somebody somebody considered legally incapacitated?
1: So, th- the question that you have to say: Do they know? Um, Reasonably, what they're entering into, uh, and again, reasonably could be what this person considers reasonable. What they know what they're doing, but they prefer to write in crayon. I also have a lady who does not want to write in anything but crayon, um, but she knows what she's doing, and so that's really the 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 test. Oftentimes, you'll want medical experts. We will have an examination and a GAL that comes out and, and you know looks for. And talks to the person, investigates the person um, to determine whether they're competent. Uh, yes, is that is that good? Yeah, it's a very broad um, broad brush. So, for example, guardianships—you could have someone who has Alzheimer's, dementia, substance abuse—is um, allowed under guardianships and conservatorships and not mental health. Substance abuse can't go under mental health. All right, so again, uh, delayed registration of birth, don't think that will apply to you, but that is for individuals who have, they weren't born here, and now they're taking their birth certificate from whatever other country and registering it to get a US birth certificate. Next slide, please. Oh, here's my favorite the MLs, drain appeals. We get to handle drain appeals. Um, So these are the random ones that we get to to deal with. Um, But again, I don't see you all really getting involved with those. Trusts. Next slide, please. Trusts, very useful um, for protecting property and having the conveyance be clear. The most important part of this is the property's got to be in the trust before they die. They, it's got to be in the trust's name before they die. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. I'm sure you guys have had those situations. Um, at that point, it, if the is held in the decedent's need alone, again, come see me. Come see me. Um, because we have an issue. It's the biggest downfall with trust that I, I know of. Um we don't handle the property like anything that was put into the trust is not something that probate court handles. What we do deal oh yes. I'm sorry, what'd you say? The question was, have I seen a cell tower lease in a trust? So yes, I've seen many things leased, very weird things that have been leased. Um, but just like this young lady said here, it, it's a contractual obligation. It's like a, the windmill. Has anyone had to deal with windmills? Yeah. So it's a con- It's contractual. It can stay within the trust. Trustee can enter into contracts with the companies as well um, on behalf of the trust. So I have seen those. And there's a you know a assignment of rights provision. Uh, Back to what probate court does with trust. We don't touch the property. What we do deal with is the fiduciary relationship of the trustee and its beneficiaries. So if people are fighting and no one's acting on the benefit of the beneficiaries, trustee dies. So we need a modification. Then you would come to probate court. So long as there was no provision that says, you know, if trustee a, a dies, then B, B, etc. cetera, but still, if you have issues with the fiduciary, come on down. Any other questions for trusts? All right, wills. Can you guys hear me? Okay, wills. Um, again, the requirements, testator's gotta be 18 years old, signed by two competent witnesses. Um, it has to be in writing. This is for the regular will requirement. Then we have what's called a holographic will. What's a holographic will? Handwritten. Okay, handwritten. What else? Witness. Correct. Does not have to be witnessed. I think the most shocking, but it'll stick with you as to what a holographic will is it's got to be dated, material provisions in the testator's handwriting, and signed. A suicide note is the. Something, I'm, I'm very sad, it's not something positive, but it will stick in your, in your head that that alone can be. Yes. Wouldn't that
4: have question for if the victim was at a mental capacity to write that at that time?
1: So you're asking, can is there questions about whether it's a valid will? Yeah. That would be something you, if someone wants to challenge it, They would file a petition in probate to have the judge determine whether or not it's a valid will. But I just bring that concept that it can be written as a suicide note. Or I saw someone who had, gosh bless her, but wrote on one of those napkins, like the big napkins. Um, So there, there are provisions
2: for that. It's like Aretha Franklin, I think she has. I don't know if it was ever all resolved, I, mean, I think some of the family was contesting it.
1: Yes, so that's a very intense, she's talked about, and, and, excuse me, Aretha Franklin. Um, oh, I'm running over, so I'm trying to run. Uh, but yes, that's an example of a holographic will. And we're looking at what is the most recent will that was issued to determine, you know, who has authority or, or an issue. Next slide, please. This is really getting into the, the weeds, but there's informal and formal estates. I put the form numbers, what you're needed to, to have with all of them to file. Since we're the oldest court in Michigan, we have to have it you know, extremely confusing and have informal estates and formal estates. Informal estates is anything that you file that meets those qualifications. I issue and sign the order and letters of authority. Formal, the judge does. So. As a rule of thumb, I will, I can reject things too for issues, but unless all the requirements are valid, so the will, the forms, um, service, etc., it will be issued. Otherwise, you'll have to wait for a hearing and go formally. Any questions about that? Okay. So we've talked about estates. Again, there's two ways to file an estate. Where the decedent was domiciled at the time of death, great place to look, death certificates. Or if the decedent is not domiciled in Michigan, the state of Michigan, not the county, the state of Michigan, but has property within the county in question, then you have jurisdiction to file. So say the decedent lives in Arizona, died in Arizona, but has a lake house. that's a, a situation where you would use that caveat, so if the decedent owns property here, but was never domiciled. Any questions about that? Yes, sir. Only it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. Um, but when you're filing a, in the state, it's more than 25,000 dollars, the total inventory value. Um, small estate assignment, I, I don't think you use this often, um, but it's it's or they domiciled here or is the property here. Same kind of concept, but under currently under 25000 Next slide, please. Supervised versus unsupervised. Again, why did our legislature create this? Let's have informal and informal, um, and then let's say supervised or unsupervised. And, they can flip-flop throughout the duration of the case, too. <laughs> so it could start off as unsupervised, and then everyone gets in, uh, you know. Uh, I guess I would call it something else, but I guess a, a fight would be appropriate. Um, and so now it's supervised, where you've got to get a court order for every single thing based in the order. It's very laborious. It would be an extreme headache for you all for selling property. Next slide, please. Letters of authority. I'll show you an example as well. It's these that you need to act. Whoever you're dealing with needs letters of authority to be able to act. But the most important part is to make sure that they are valid letters and get a certified copy. Anyone familiar with these? Yes? No? I used it.
4: When
1: would I need one? So if you're entering into a contract um, to sell real estate, the PR has to provide you authority that they have the authority to sell this property that you're representing. So best practice is always to get one of these and have them certified. They do expire in, in Ingham County. It's 500 days from the issuance state. And that's because there's regular occurring duties every year that the PR has to do. So. Great question. Any others? All right, moving on. Next slide, please. This is an example of letters of authority. I'm just going to walk over here, and then I'll come over there as well. But um, do you all see in the middle of the page where it says these letters expire? This is where you're looking for the expiration date. This will be the date they're issued will also put the same date here. If there's any limitations on property, then it'll be written here or up here. I very rarely see those. Um, and this portion, the very bottom portion, is the certified copy. And so you want to get a certified copy with a seal and then have that for you know the whole transaction. What
2: would be an example of an issue that they would put up? Letters
1: um, Restrictions as to what can be sold. Um, like I've seen everything. The question was, what examples have I seen that are limitations on letters of authority? So I have seen um, them put, so here it's about business. But ultimately, this will be checked. And they'll say, can, with regard to property A, B, and C selling of those properties, property DE must get court approval. And, and and oftentimes it's because property D and E are business entities where the decedent has um, an interest in those. So you'll see that or if someone alleges the PR is is irresponsible and there's been evidence to suggest that, then the court would put you know bond must be filed or, Any order to sell real property must go through the court and have a a next order. But you'll rarely see that. Okay, next slide. All right, I say miscellaneous, but this is, um, the inventory amount has to be reported once the letters are issued. They have to file it 90, 91 days? Yep, and then um, pay for the fee afterwards has anyone seen inventory fees before no they can get quite large so um, those fees if there's associate fees related to the sale of the property um, those should be included in the inventory as well okay interested parties that's who to serve. I just put that there so you know, okay, who should be involved, etc. Next slide, please. Okay, guardianship. We really have, for adults, we have adult guardianship, a limited guardianship, and then we have a DD guardianship. The DDs are the wild cards, and the reason they're a wild card is because they don't fall under Epic, but they actually fall under the mental health code. DDs are any person who has a developmental disability that occurred at or prior to the age 22. So those are very very restrictive um, items. You'll see this with individuals who were born with cerebral palsy. Autism is taking off with a developmentally disabled individual. Um, Down syndrome. I mean there's a plethora of things but again must occur prior to or at the age of 22. They get the most amount of services, oversight, etc. cetera. Um, and with a DD, you get guardian of the person and of the estate. The letters of authority will show that. Um, but that's great, because now you have the authority within one letter. You don't have to get a conservatorship and a guardianship and a DD. You got one piece of paper that says. And it's really a simple guardian of the person is just like a regular guardianship, so legal medical um, decisions. Whereas, oh yes, sir.
0: Well, when it's a authority regarding a guardianship, uh, does it still have an expiration date?
1: Yes, okay. yes. All letters issued will have an expiration date, and we've done that to ensure compliance. Uh, the prior probate register did not have um, a mechanism to ensure compliance from these Individuals who are fiduciaries, and then we have to report to the state court administrator's office as well. So um, they will all have expiration dates. Okay, so um, again, DDs. Next slide, please. I'm gonna come over here to, I just wanna point this part out. Next slide. Oh, there we go. Okay, so we're good. We'll step back. Um, you'll see in the top portion where it says guardian of the person and estate for a DD. This is huge because if those both are checked, you're good to go. Plenary means for the person's entire life that they have guardianship. Um, partial means. It expires in five years, so you have to repetition the court every five years. Again, it's very similar to the letters of authority. You'll also see the, the certification and expiration date as well. Any questions about a DD? No. If you have clients who have children who may fall under this, um, then you can see where property would likely um, be going to the child. This may be something you want to discuss about with them for future planning. Guardianships, next slide, please. These are the letters of authority for an adult guardianship. Again, it's the same concept, same location you're looking uh, for the dates, expiration date, signature, and certification. All right, next slide. Conservatorships, again, there's really two, an adult and a minor. Not going to focus on minor because I'm sure that's not common, but it could be. Um, again, we're dealing financial affairs, so you know payments, transactions, and for a real, a real estate transaction, I suggest that you have both if you have a person who's incapacitated. Next slide. Here's letters of adult conservatorship. Again, looks very similar. We do that on purpose so that it's easy for you to to recognize the dates. Conservatorships. Next slide, please. This is where um, a high area of focus. Has anyone done this? A petition for real estate to sell under a conservatorship? Okay. Right now. Oh, right now. Wonderful. So, anytime someone has a conservatorship or a DD. That is of the estate, it can be of both. You need to get authority to sell the property. So, real property, you would file this petition along with $20. Um, it's great to attach, like the contract, the MLS, um, and and what's the little picture of uh, the tax assessor? Is that right? Yes. Um, what is it called? The system is BS. Oh, BS. Yeah, okay, that's over my head. Um, You file this, you get a hearing date and you cannot sell the property until you get this order. If at any time uh, there's some urgency or it needs to be moved up or there's whatever it could be and there have been situations like that, like you're trying to get someone into uh, a nursing home and you need this property to go immediately, Let the court know that, and then we will find a way to expedite. There's always situations where people need expediting um, issues. Let us know right away, and and we will do our best to accommodate. You may also note that a bond is likely going to be required anytime you convey real property and you turn it into cash or readily readily accessible funds, a bond will be required, which is double the SEV. Or like triple if it was last year, I guess. <laughs> you guys had a good year. All right, next slide. Mental health. Again, I'm, I'm just listing all this stuff here. I just think it's important for you all to know that we have this um, if you need it. If you have questions, I left my business card too. You. Um, you can call us if you have further questions about this. Next slide. I've included an example of a mental health petition, just so you're aware of, of what we do in the land of the crazy. Um, but this will have to be filled out. And um, please refrain, refrain from pictures of bats on the wall. That would be great.
4: Was that his child that, that brought that to your
1: attention,
4: that they wanted to sell it? And that?
1: Yes, so they were letting their son live in a piece of property that they wanted to sell, um, probably because they noticed he was kind of spiraling, kinda. But yes, um, it it was not good. It was not good. So um, next question. I'm sure you all have dealt with subs- or next slide. Sorry, substance abuse issues. Um, they're not mental health, so you can't file a mental health petition due to substance abuse alone, or dementia alone, epilepsy, et cetera. It's very, very clear about that. Next nice. slide. These are all the additional actions you can do at probate. Maybe you need to get access to the safety deposit box to get the, the will. You can do that at the probate court, et cetera. Next slide. That's our probate court website, um, www.pr.ingham.org. There's tons of packets, materials, everything we've talked about, so if you wanted to go there, um, please do. If you wanted to you know, attend a conservatorship class or et cetera, please do that. Next slide. Okay, so these are just random things. There's no, no longer dower rights. Everyone's aware of that. Okay, um, always consult a, uh, an attorney. I can't give you legal advice as much as I would love to. I can't simply buy my job. Um, I can help with general questions, et cetera, but specifics, etc. please contact an attorney. And I can't refer you to any attorneys either um, under the judicial code of conduct. Uh, again, we have that website. One thing I didn't put on here that is really important is future planning. If you have clients that you see are declining or aging, encourage them to get future planning because your next transaction will likely, um, you'll be there, unfortunately. So for those who are 60 or older, we have the um, Ingham County Elder Millage. I would go to the Tri, it's, it's overseen by the Tri-County Office of Aging. They can immensely help your clients at no cost. Um, in assisting with those, those needs. But I, I cannot beg you all enough for advanced planning. Um, it's really, really helpful. Anna? Any questions, comments?
3: I have a question in the back here. I'm currently involved with a large farm that um, upon my review of the title work, I discovered that there was a first right of refusal that all four members of the family had signed in 1989. And I don't know why it was a legal document and the date of execution was in 1989, which it has expired now, but it was not recorded by the Register of Deeds until 1995. So what is the official date of the execution of that right of refusal?
1: When the document was was issued.
3: When it was signed
1: by all parties. Arguably what they'll go through and they'll say, well, it wasn't in the chain of title, which brings a a huge point. Anytime you have any interest in property that's going on like that, like a first right of refusal, a divorce. I know people don't like to do that, but divorces should always be filed with the deed, with the registered deeds. Um, But in that situation, you go off contract execution. Then if they're doing a quiet title action, then they're going to have to to deal with that issue before a judge of whether or not they had noticed?
3: Well, I'm dealing with the partition commander that's been assigned by the judge. So my role is to work with him. We had a very, very successful auction, but now we're down to the point where the title company is citing that first date of 1989 as an exception because they feel that the actual date of execution was 1995, okay? And I'm just curious, how the legal world spins—is it the date of execution of the parties of a legal contract, or is it the date of recording at the Registered deeds?
1: It's a great question. So Michigan is a notice state. So they there is an argument or clout on the title um, that they didn't have notice. Uh, what you could do is file a quiet act, quiet title action and just have an order from the judge that states that. The date it was executed is the date that it shall be, as recorded.
3: Okay, that's and that's what's happening right now. We've we've uh, moved forward with quiet title action as of Tuesday of this week.
1: Okay. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. But also, I mean, again, if you have some reason that it needs to be moved faster, you know, let the judge know. That's a circuit court case, but the judge's office. No, I certainly don't want you know properties or say, sell. I can't talk today. Sales to, you know, fall through. I mean, that's unfortunate. Um, Yes, sir. I've
3: been involved in a a couple of estates that were large and then they get noticed that the estates have to be reviewed by the attorney general. I'm just curious what triggers that and what is that level where it has to be reviewed?
1: So there's an estate that is, is currently being probated or not?
3: It's in, they're in probate. I've, they're both closed now, but both of them got notice. And, and this is, they were both more than a million dollar estates. They were both notified that those had to be reviewed by the Attorney General's office. I was just curious what triggers that? And um, are, are the court's involved in that or what?
1: We're not involved in that um, at all. I would suppose it is it the state administrator, the state public administrator that is overseeing that? Yeah, so state public administrator then appoints um, local public administrators. So in Ingham County, we have Pat Gallagher, um, but they have certain things that are separate from the court which they review. Um, they're also served on any cases where the respondent or the ward has no interested parties. So there's no heirs, et cetera, then the attorney general is also served and involved in that but I can't speak exactly as to that scenario because I I don't know and I don't touch that area. Any other questions? Yes.
2: I have a question.
4: Okay. (laughs) Um, So with COVID, I'm an appraiser. We've had a lot of just gone into a lot of houses where the person just dies. Like you said, everybody needs a will or a trust. Um, How long does it take that person to get like this the children are usually cleaning it up and trying to sell it right away how once this
1: all happens how many months does it take them to get approval to sell the house and so it depends on how, what their authority is if they have no documents that say they have authority um, or that's not in a trust then you're looking at coming to probate if it's an informal estate that's not supervised you file It'll be issued the same day, and then you have you have to keep the estate open for a minimum of five months. Um, <coughs> so, if the inventory, et cetera, but as soon as they get the letters, then you're good to do whatever to to sell it, put it on the market, et cetera. With any
4: funds they get, do they have
1: to um, like reserve them to pay off any debts, or does that all have to well, there's a priority of claims and everything we do. Who gets paid first when someone dies? I'm just curious if you know. The state of Michigan. <laughs> IRS. So oh. funeral oh. and burial expenses get paid first. Then, okay. sure. uh, yeah, unfort- yeah, attorneys are second. And then there's a, a distribution on how it goes down from there. Um, there's exemptions, spousal exceptions. Um, et cetera, but it's, it's pretty clear cut how, how the order of payment and priority for distribution.
4: Yes. So you also have to have the death certificate first before you can petition for the letters of authority. So during the time when it was taking three, four, six months to get that death certificate back, they couldn't get the letters of authority. So is that what you're kind of asking about? The time frame. Okay, I saw a lot of delays because of the delay in getting a death certificate.
1: Well, the first thing I have to tell you is that I'm sorry because that's not, you know, it's not acceptable for you not to have access to that. If there comes a situation, it's it's notice of death. So if you don't have a, a death certificate, maybe because they're still doing a toxicology, which gosh knows takes forever. If you have proof of death, an obituary. If you don't have an obituary, an affidavit would be sufficient. But also call me and say, you know, I have this person who who died, this is their name, date of birth, I can look into the county clerk system with my access to see whether one's been issued or not. And if it hasn't been issued, then I just pick up the phone and I call County Clerk Byram and I say, hey, um, I I have a person here who needs to file ASAP. We have no death certificate. Uh, Is there any time frame or way to expedite it? So when I say reach out to me, please do because not having that for six months is not okay.
4: It was very common and even like down in, in Texas, my sister had to wait six to nine months because they were so backed up in the death certificates during COVID. So we, I, she didn't know that she could just call down and I don't know if they can down there, but yeah.
1: It's good to know. Yes. Any other questions? Remember the survival rule. Everyone knows the survival rule. 120 hours. So, in order to be an heir, you have to survive the decedent by 120 hours. Also, otherwise, you're treated as predeceased. A stillborn baby is not a decedent. It's weird nuances, but any other questions? Huh? Yeah?
4: Will designate a different thing. you said the hundred and twenty hours um, and only because I am from another state originally our wills could designate that if they died within you know a, a shorter time frame who was who was predetermined to have died first so they can't do we can't do that in Michigan.
1: So in Michigan the statute is hundred and twenty hours so to go against the statute likely is, not valid, okay. um, and the reason of the 24 hours is to say, you know, if two husband-wife get in a car accident, husband dies first, and day two, wife dies, then wife is treated as predeceased. Um, so no, I, I again, you could litigate it. We want to give you know every credence to a testator's um, wishes, but not so much that they are. Incompatible with state law. Good question, though. How fun is probate? <laughs> it's so dull. It's the, it's the oldest one in the in the state of Michigan. Well, thank you all so much for hanging out with me. It's exciting to be, you know, back in front of people, um, and we're here by the grace of goodness. But I mean it when I say reach out to me. I'm, I'm an open book. I try to be as, as helpful to those in the community um, in assisting with these difficult transactions. Um, but, but contact me. I get bored sometimes down there. You can imagine with all this great material, but really, really important. And what you do is really, really vital to our community um, as well. So I, we very much appreciate you. And that was Judge Garcia. He's like, make sure you tell them. And I was like, okay, I will. Um, but thank you again. There's my contact information. Business cards on in the back. Um, and then I hope to see you all again. Maybe not in probate, but out. Thank you so much.